Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and megatrends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. Travel pay compliance, what you must pay for and why. So this is a topic that I think most employers just don't even really think about. Uh, you know, uh, if if travel is a regular component of your employee's job, you probably do. But it's those rare circumstances that they travel in a job that travel is not a main component of the job. This is the area that uh, employers get in trouble. And I think more frequently than you might think. So great guest today. If you're a regular watcher of the show, you know Brian Schenker. Brian is a New York-based attorney with Jackson Lewis. His practice focuses on representing employers on a wide range of workplace matters, as well as preventative advice and counseling. Brian has extensive experience defending class and collective action lawsuits under federal and state wage and hour laws. He has successfully defended wage and hour audits conducted by the U.S. and New York State's Department of Labor. And Brian regularly handles cases before courts and administrative agencies involving claims of discrimination, sexual harassment, and retaliation. Welcome to the show, Brian. Happy to be here, Mike. All right. So let's first, uh, let's start with maybe a definition, because I think a lot of business owners have no idea that there is even law around this. And it is. It's part of the Fair Labor Standards Act, the granddaddy of them all for HR laws, the FLSA. What is the FLSA definition of travel pay? Right. So, no, that, that's a great place to begin. And so, you know, we start with the FLSA, right? And Let's start with the broadest definition of, of work and compensable work, which is you know, any time that the employee is suffered or permitted to work, right? So this is you know, a very broad, broad uh, definition. Uh, basically, the employer must compensate an employee for you know, any actual work they do or you know, work they perform that the employer should have known. Uh, and so we had that law in the books. And, you know, basically, you know, what it said, you know, FLSA says, you know, when when the employee uh, is completely relieved from work uh, you know, long enough to enable him to uh, use that time effectively for his or her own purposes, that, you know, that's when when their day is done. So, you know, we had the FLSA saying this, but that didn't provide much information right on what what travel time is. So uh, almost uh, 50 years ago now, uh, back in 1974. Uh, the Portal to Portal Act uh, was passed, and that's kind of it's a small, it's a companion to the FLSA. Uh, a lot of times we don't even distinguish sometimes between uh, you know what's in the FLSA versus what's in the Portal to Portal Act. Uh, they've kind of merged. Uh, but what the Portal to Portal Act uh, did was clarified that certain activities are not compensable working time under the FLSA, uh, and so. What the Portal Act really said was that activities that are preliminary or post-liminary uh, are, you know, are not necessarily things that employees need to be compensated for. Um, so, right. So, for instance, you know, 
just a few things, right? So we're talking about travel time potentially and other things, right? Potentially, you know, washing up before work or, um, you know, washing hands or doing certain things, right? Those may or may not be compensable, you know, post-liminary and preliminary uh, activities. That's what the Portal Act tells us. Uh, and then it gives us this broad, this broad rule concerning travel time, right? Uh, and like many legal answers, right, you know, the, the answer is going to be, right, it all depends on the type of travel involved. Right. All, you, um, but really, all you lawyers are alike. It, it depends. <laughs> that's right. But what I can tell you, right, what, what the, uh, the, you know, the solid rule that, that we can take from this is that uh, employers are not required to pay wages for time spent traveling to and from the place of performance of the principal activities uh, that the employee performs either you know, at the beginning or end of the day. So that's the general rule. Look, there are some caveats to that that we will explore today. But the general rule is beginning of the day, end of the day, uh, driving you know, from home to the job site or from the job site to home typically is not compensable. And that's whether or not you know, an employee has one fixed job site or you know, on you know, various days might be going to different job sites, right? The home to commute uh, trip is generally not compensable. Uh, so you know, that's what we have. That's what you know the uh, the Portal to Portal Act and FLSA tell us. Uh, and then from there, we have a lot of either you know case law that's developed, but also the U.S. Department of Labor. Uh, has issued you know regulations and provided examples of various types of uh, you know travel that can come up uh, in the course of uh, employment, and you know whether that type of travel you know is compensable or not. So I got I got a million questions, uh, but I probably don't want to hijack it yet. I, I would ask you maybe to start with some of the, what do you th- what do you see as the most common uh, use cases here? But it was, what's what's popping to mind is like okay. I, I don't get paid to go to and from my job, right? If whether it's retail or an office, uh, uh, if it's my regular location, um, and then you, I think I heard you say even if it's different locations. So if I work for a retailer in town, and this one's a ten-minute commute, this one's a thirty-minute commute, that, that's not compensable. It's just driving to work. But I'm curious about what if, what if it's someplace that's a not normal part of my schedule, this retail location is an hour away. Or maybe I show up to one location midday, I have to change to another location. It's the drive time in between. That, that's kind of where my head is starting at. But but maybe, maybe the best place to start would be where do you see employers get themselves in trouble most frequently? Let's, let's start with the most common use cases. So, yeah, uh, Mike, gr- great question. And I think, look, the the first part is, I think, the commuting between home and work. So, you know, Generally, generally, that's not going to be compensable. Uh, but there are things that you know can trip up an employer in making uh, some of this commute time you know compensable. Uh, and so, you know, one one uh, thing that comes to mind is you know a lot of jobs have a place you know a, a policy or procedure where employees report to a site before they get to the work site. So, you know, maybe everyone drives to one central location and then they get in a van to go to the, you know, the work site, you know, from there. Um, you know, that's the type of thing I'm envisioning here. And, you know, that can, you know, create an issue 
uh, you know, for for employees, because, you know, once they travel and they get to that initial meetup site, typically that's when the law is telling us that, you know, their workday has begun and that they should be compensated right from that point forward. Uh, so that's certainly, you know, one to one thing that I see quite often where, uh, you know, employees are required to travel somewhere first. It might not be the site they spend working on for the whole day. Right. Maybe they need to go to the facility, get some tools uh, and then drive, go to the site and that they're not compensating them for, for the travel time from that meeting location or that first facility to the actual work site. So, you know, that's certainly one. And look, on the flip side, you know, we see it on the way home, right? Um, you know, if an employee leaves the work site at, you know, 6 p.m., and then instead of going straight home, they have to then go back to the yard and, uh, you know, drop off a vehicle or drop off materials and uh, perform some tasks there, then, right, that isn't that, that drive from the work site to the, uh, you know, to the facility that's not, you know, end of the work uh, uh, time that's, you know, not compensable because they haven't been relieved of all duties yet. Right. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, that bit of work that might be required or, you know, meeting at a site, you know, uh, before or after the, the job, you know, that's an area where employers certainly can get tripped up. So, Brian, how, how should employers think about this? Because I we can't, I suspect it'd be really, really hard. We, we're going to make an attempt at maybe describing the most common use cases, do's and don'ts, I guess. But we can't come up with and describe and list every single edge case here. So what, what, are the, what are the protocols? What are the rules of engagement that employers should be thinking about that determine? Because I'm assuming there's some type of litmus test here uh, to, to, de to determine these, the, these things. No, look, it's a great question. And I, I think you're, you're right, Mike, that, you know, what we run into with respect to travel time is that there might be, you know, the travel time your company might be dealing with may fall in one of the several areas that the DOL has addressed in its regulations. But it's also likely that it might not fall right within one of those. And if the facts are different by just a little bit, you know, that can change the whole outcome. So what I... You know, what I tell employers is, look, you know, compensation for travel time, you know, the legal question of compensability might not be something you can determine on your own, but you can get up to that point on your own. So, you know, the first step, you know, employers should really do, right, the, 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 the framework for this is, right, looking at your various categories of employees and asking yourself, right, what travel are they performing, right? Where do they go? What, what are we doing? And so, you know, from there you identify what type of travel, right? Are we only dealing with, you know, home to work and work to home travel? Or, you know, might there be other travel, you know, during the day? And that's the next one, Mike, right? So, you know, what employers should be thinking about is that if there is travel during the day, your immediate, you know, response should be, that's probably compensable unless, right? Unless there's some reason it isn't, okay. right? The same way that we're looking at, you know, travel at the beginning of the day and end of the day to, from and to home as being not compensable unless there's some reason it, that it is. So, so as we unpack kind of rules of engagement here, to and from work, not compensable, 
unless it meets certain criteria. We're going to talk about that criteria. Travel, once you get to work, travel within the work day is compensable unless it meets certain criteria. We'll, we'll unpack that. Am I thinking about it right? Exactly. exactly. Okay. So which, which one do you want to start with? You want to start yes. with the exception? Yeah, why don't we... Yeah, why don't we tackle some of the, you know, home and work, uh, you know, home to work uh, commuting issues Perfect. first. Um, you know, so, so, you know, under that, under this framework, right, basically, the assumption is that the time spent traveling, you know, to, to reach your workstation, right? So that means, you know, you, driving from home, park your car at the lot, right? Just because you parked at the lot doesn't mean you're on the clock yet. You go into the building and now you're, you know, clocking in, right? That's when, when your day begins. Um, you know, many employers, uh, depending on their industries, have, you know, mandatory, you know, theft prevention or security checks, um, you know, and depending on the specific factors of those, you know, time spent, you know, going through a security check, things like that may or may not be, uh, you know, compensable. Um, same thing with donning and doffing of, uh, of uniforms, things like that. Often if, you know, these are, you know, integral to the, uh, the job duties they perform, then they're going to be cons- compensable. So for instance, uh, you know, think of a, uh, uh, someone in, in food processing, right? We have a food processing facility and they, you know, come into work, they get in, uh, you know, we're not talking about travel time, but I think this, you know, helps illustrate uh, you know, they have to go through, you know, some, you know, hygienic, uh, you know, checkpoint, right? They need to go to the locker room, change some clothing and, you know, put on a hairnet, you know, so those are things that are, you know, integral to their work, right? That these employees cannot perform the work under probably federal regulations unless there's a hairnet, unless they've, you know, put on their, you know, clean uh, clothing. So, you know, that type of, uh, you know, donning and doffing of equipment would be compensable, most likely. Okay. Um, Fair to say yeah. then, so if it's a, re- if, if the act is a requirement of the job and it's such that you couldn't have done it at home beforehand, it had to be done at, at the place of work, compensable. If I'm, if it's January and I'm dressed in appropriate, you know, upper Midwest January attire, I show up to the workplace, but it's really hot in the, uh, on the shop floor at this place. So I kind of, maybe I go into the locker room there or bathroom and I change down to, to a, a t-shirt. Uh, that's not a work requirement. It's just, I'm, it's my own personal preference for that place. Therefore that would probably not be compensable. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah, that was a great, great illustration. Yep. So yeah, you were really getting about you know, into what's you know required for the job versus what isn't, and that's right. That you you illustrated the integral you know part of that exactly. Okay. Um, and and so yeah, so that's one. So you know that's one thing, and I, I think you know another uh, issue you kind of uh, you know mentioned and, and got me thinking about was uh, you know performing work before the commute. So this is something that comes up a lot, uh, sometimes with sales employees or you know, many times with employees who are going to customer locations each day, right? So you know, they don't necessarily report to you know, a company office um, and you know, they're, they're making a commute, you know, let's say to, to the customer from home. Uh, and so 
you know, sometimes those employees have to perform some work, right? They might have to print out a sales report before they, they leave for the day. Um, they might have to do, you know, some other, you know, administrative task, whether it's, you know, uh, sending certain emails or, um, you know, linking, you know, some, some uh, you know, syncing up some computers, right? So there might be work they have to do before they head to work or head to the customer. And right, the question is then, you know, is that compensable time? And so, you know, potentially when an employee does work before their commute, right, their workday has already started, mm -hmm. right? So that's telling us that then, right, this commute to work at the beginning of the day isn't what, what the typical beginning of the day commute is because this employee's, uh, you know, job has, you know, workday has already begun at home. Uh, but what we really look to, you know, in this scenario uh, of this work from home is whether it was an integral and indispensable uh, function that could not have been disposed of and really had to have been performed at that time. Right. So let's take, for example, right, an employee who, you know, before they head out for the day, they need to, you know, they're required to check their email, sync their laptop, print out that sales report, you know, and then they can go to their first work site. Now, the question is whether they have to do that all right away. And so, you know, look, presented with this scenario, uh, the DOL and, and courts uh, similarly uh, found that this individual was not required to do that work right before leaving, right? They found that uh, the employee often, you know, printed out their sales report, checked their email, and then drove his you know, kids to school or went to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. So that it wasn't something that had to be done right away. Um, now, on the other hand, so that, that would mean then that that drive to work is not compensable, even though there was some work done. But compare that with a situation where an employer, you know, requires an employee to perform certain, you know, substantive part of their job right before they, you know, right before they leave each morning, right? There's a set time, you have to perform this, it's not at your own leisure, you know, that then could, could create a compensable, you know, travel time to work. Uh, so, you know, what, what does that tell us, right? We need to be careful if we have employees even just doing the home to work commute and nothing else, are we making them do work before they travel you know, to the office, right? If they're forced to, you know, uh, you know, do, you know, however much time it is, it's about the, the substantive nature of it, whether it's integral to their job, if they have to do it right before they leave or right when they get home, right? Think of the, uh, you know, salesperson who after they get home every evening, right, they're required to go in and spend, you know, 20 minutes uploading all their data for the day and you know finish any reports and send those all in that has to be done you know as soon as you get home right now now the travel time home is compensable potentially for that employee um well, so, i want to break that down a little bit further so and i think i know the answer is so if i was a sales rep and and, and i'm assuming we're talking non-exempt here right because yeah. if it's an exempt employee your salary this is this is a non-issue I do. I do want to go down an exempt path as a uh, for like more uh, corporate travel away to conferences, things like that, um, and how that would relate back to like PTO and such. Sure. But so we're talking hourly employees, uh, 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 non-exempt staff. 
so I'm a sales rep. I log in in the morning and uh, it's not, my boss doesn't require it, but I'm just a, I'm a super organized person. I, I, I want to be a high achiever. I want to get in, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, before the kids are awake, I'll organize my day. Um, and then, like you say, I'll take the kids to school. I'll have, a, you know, one or two or three hours before I'm actually like at work then. If I chose to do it and it's not a requirement of my employer, the drive, the time that I stop doing that work and then show up to work, that's not compensable. What about the actual time that I'm doing the work? Like if I'm, if I, if I take a half hour every morning to kind of organize my day, is that compensable? Yeah. Great question. Great question. And I think it's a very important one because I think you point something out that, right, employers might be getting the impression that, you know, nothing's compensable when we're talking about, you know, travel time that's not compensable here. But right, that work that might be performed at home at the beginning of the day, that's work that's compensable, right? Any work performed for the employer is compensable. So right, that is compensable work time. And the next question we're trying to figure out is whether, you know, the employer required it, this, indis this indispensable work to be done right right before you left or right when you get home that it's you know not within your discretion to do it you know at a more convenient time like you know after you get home and you ate, eat dinner you know sitting around you know you know so these are those situations where it's most likely compensable where you have an employer who is really dictating when an employee does certain work and that's why i brought up you know reporting for salespeople. It's something along those lines where, you know, it's a requirement that, you know, as soon as you get home or right before you leave every day, you have to do this, right? Um, you know, that, or right, someone who does sales and hey, you have to develop your sales route each morning, email us, you know, exactly what time and route you're going to take, you know, that, you know, that could potentially, you know, make it compensable work time. Uh, but, you know, compare that with, you know, the employee gets home, they have to you know, upload their data for the day into the you know, company's computer system. But the policy says that you can do that you know, anytime between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m., right? So now you have a 12-hour window, right? You don't need to do it right when you get home. Yeah. So it's not going to create a compensable travel time issue. But again, of course, the time spent doing that work is compensable regardless. So this is where employee handbooks become so critical, right? So uh, let's step outside of the, the sales example because there's obvious flexibility in that job. Maybe it's a home health care provider, right? So I have employees that go from home to home to home providing the health care services, um, and there, presumably there's some, call it paperwork, it's electronic, certainly in most cases, some paperwork to fill out uh, some type of a call report where you have to, okay, I, I just walked at the door, These, this is what I did, this is the condition of the patient, here's what I needed next time, whatever, whatever that looks like. If I don't have a policy as stated in my handbook or otherwise that says when you could do this, if the employee drives, leaves the last client, leaves the last home, drives home, and then fills out the, the 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 call sheets or whatever you would call them in that case at home, that drive time is probably compensable unless you've specified a policy otherwise. If you don't want to pay for that, you need to say, hey, 
it's flexible. It's up to you when you do it. And or the expectation is when you walk out the door of that last walk out the door of a home visit, you're sitting in the car and you're typing it in at that time. Is Am I thinking about that correctly? Right. Absolutely. I, I think you make a, yeah, a great point there um, that, yeah, once they, you know, they, they, they do that at home and there's no guidance from the company as to when it needs to be done. It certainly leaves open, you know, an argument by the employee that, yeah, look, we had to get these done right away, even though there might not have been anything that said that, you know, it was practice and I was expected to do that. Right. Compare that with a company who puts in their handbook, right? You don't have to, you know, here's the window of time when you can do this, right? You want to put something pro, you know, explicit out there in terms of, you know, when they when they should do that, because otherwise, right, you open the door that they can claim. No, it was a company practice that it had to be done, you know, right away. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other use cases or maybe not use cases, any, any other exception rules that we should be thinking about, about driving to and from work? Yeah. So, you know, another one that uh, comes up from time to time are uh, employees who use a company vehicle, uh, right? And, you know, oftentimes uh, companies, you know, allow those employees to take those vehicles home. And I bring this up because, you know, this doesn't necessarily impact the travel time, right? You know, driving from home to work uh, in your own vehicle versus the company vehicle doesn't really change the compensability outlook. Uh, but, it, you know, it does create some uh, complexities with respect to, you know, travel and, and other wage and hour issues. Um, you know, so first, you know, and we haven't really got into this uh, yet at all, but, you know, if an employee is going to incur expenses because, you know, they are using the company vehicle, um, you know, those should be covered by the employer, right? The, the employee should not be uh, incurring any costs because of their use of the company vehicle. Um, and you know, the, as long as the vehicle does not otherwise change their commute, it's still, you know, a, a non-compensable, uh, you know, event if it's, you know, travel at the beginning of the day. Um, but that said, uh, whenever you have an employee using a company vehicle, especially if they're, you know, taking it home and they have it there overnight or on the weekends, you should have a written agreement considering it, right? Uh, you know, covering anything, whether, you know, it's what the employee can do, you know, in, in non-work hours with the vehicle to, you know, where it should be stored to, you know, anything else covering, you know, how they should be treating, uh, the company's, uh, truck or car. Um, and then, you know, just a tip, a best practice, uh, and this is, is kind of a good one, whether or not your employee you know, takes the car home or not. But, you know, whenever you have a company vehicle, uh, you know, considering whether to have some type of GPS tracking, um, you know, gas cards, easy pass record type of things in there, you know, you then have some security and especially with a vehicle, you know, GPS records can be another form of time records. Uh, so, you know, I know they're a little more complicated to analyze sometimes than, uh, you know, very simple time records. Uh, I've actually had situations where, uh, you know, we had a, an employee using a company vehicle. We had no time records whatsoever. We had an unpaid wage claim 
and the GPS records ended up uh, being essentially the company's time records. So uh, always uh, something to explore whether you, you want to use that when you have an employee using the company vehicle. Yeah, that, I, I suspect prices have gone down dramatically. I don't pretend to be a GPS logistics uh, software expert, but um, what used to probably be pretty darn expensive uh, fleet tracking systems I bet there's some really inexpensive stuff out there that if you send your employees out to job sites uh, using company paid for vehicles, really, really easy to use that as a as a as a backup. Though I would say, uh, be careful what you wish for because you're gonna have to follow the law. Because if you're not if you're not paying people for that travel time, that could blow up on your face, which would be just fine because you got to follow the law. Uh, but, uh, I think, I think that's good advice. Um, any other cases on the to and from work before we maybe jump into travel during the the work day? Yep. Yeah. I think we can move forward to that. All right. So I just want to recap. So the, the, the punchline is if I'm driving to and from work, generally considered, you don't have to pay for it. It's not, not compensable time. If, however, Immediately before, say, leaving for work or immediately upon my return from work, the work that I do is compensable and perhaps my travel time to and from may also be compensable. That's the general rule of thumb here, right? Right. And so the guidance is got to have a handbook, got to have a policy. There's no law that says you must, but to protect yourself and just to set good, clear expectations with employees so that they don't become disgruntled thinking you owe them when you don't or vice versa, just for good communication, document all this in the form of policy, preferably in a handbook, right? Right. Exactly. All right. Let's move to, let's stay within the non-exempt world. So hourly employees, they are to work, but be, so they've shown up to work now. The time between beginning and end of workday, there's there's lots of I think misinterpretation here. It's the drive time from one client to the next. Uh, there's wait times. Is there amount of time that you know maybe maybe I show up to a job and maybe I have a long wait before the next job? Take us through what the exceptions here are because I think what you said at the top was that generally from beginning to the end of the day that is compensable except when now let's unpack some of those except wins right right so it's, it's more or less right the continuous workday rule that you know once the workday starts then until you're completely relieved from all your duties that you know it's compensable work time right so that's the general rule uh meaning that you know if you start at one work site and travel to another one Generally, and again, generally, there are exceptions to these rules, uh, but generally that's compensable time. So, you know, for, uh, you know, you can think of uh, you know, all different types of uh, workers, right? You mentioned, you know, home care, right? You know, driving from one uh, client to another, um, you know, there, there are lots of situations here. Um, and so that's the general rule that the travel we incur during the workday you know, should be paid for. It's, you know, even though it's not necessarily productive, it's not doing, uh, you know, necessarily the integral work for the company, that doesn't matter, right? Because it's during the workday, they've already begun. Uh, so, 
a couple, you know, issues. I mean, look, there are various issues that can come up, but, you know, some some things that I've seen. Right. Uh, so you have an employee, you know, in this this uh, situation I've seen in uh, DOL opinion letters uh, since the pandemic, because it's uh, been occasioned by, you know, the uh, a lot of people working remotely and from home. Uh, so, right, let's say you have an employee who is going to start the day working at home, but, you know, they want to then, you know, work the afternoon in the office, um, right? You're not requiring them to come in, but they're going to work in the morning uh, and then travel to the office uh, in the afternoon to work. So, you know, is that necessarily uh, compensable travel time? Not necessarily. Um, you know, same with uh, a situation where, let's say, an employee who has, you know, works from home, then they have to go to a doctor's appointment, and then from the doctor's appointment, they're going to then come into the office and work there, right? So now we have this travel, it's in the middle of the day, and it's to go to or from the office, uh, and it's, you know, coming from probably a personal uh, matter. Uh, so, you know, here what the DOL tells us is that, you know, when employees freely choose, right, at what time they resume working and they can use the time off for their own purposes, that it's not necessarily compensable travel time, right? So the employee who starts working at home then goes to the doctor and then drives to work. None of that travel time is likely compensable, all right, because they're choosing, you know, when it is. Now, it could be a different story, right, if employees told, hey, you're going to work from home in the morning, but then we want you in the office in the afternoon. Well, that that's different, right? Now it's an employer requirement. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, this is just to kind of show the difference. And, you know, again, you know, as an employer, some of these situations can get complicated. Uh, and so, you know, really one of the best things an employer can do, and hopefully they see this as we're going through this, is to identify these issues, right? Identify when there's some type of travel that, you know, raises a flag, you know, that, you know, that you're wondering, mm, that, that seems like it's not the ordinary, you know, uh, commuting time from home to work, you know, this may be compensable, right? You know, having the ability to spot those issues is the first thing. Cause you know, again, there are so many different scenarios you can run into here. Um, I'm wondering, yeah, no, to, I'm wondering right. if a good test for an employer would be something like this. So, um, if your employee comes into the office or place of business, whatever, um, and they have a one hour long doctor appointment at 2 PM and the office is 30 minutes from that doctor, they would have to leave by one 30 to get there at two for their one hour uh, appointment, get out at two 30 or get, get out at two to come back, I think I screwed that up. So they leave at 1.30 to get there for two o'clock, they get out at three o'clock, they got a half hour drive back. So from 1.30 to 3.30, they're out of work. If it's not just for the one hour of that meeting. Now in a work from home saying, hey, my appointment, my doctor appointment's at two o'clock in the afternoon, does it really pay for me to come back to the office? Do you care if I work from home for the rest of the afternoon? The employer says yes. It's not the one hour that they would deduct. It is the hour including the travel time because that's how it would have been paid if it was uh, at a, a, at the office on location, right? Right, right. 
And so, yeah, and then you know, Mike, as you were speaking, I, I, you know, another issue you mentioned earlier that I, I think you know is is one that comes up from time to time. Uh, you know, so oftentimes we have travel time during the day, right? An employee needs to travel from location A to location B, you know, to meet a new client, right? And then they show up at location B, you know, the meeting's set for one o'clock, and the client doesn't show up till two o'clock. So now you have you know, this employee, this hourly employee spent, you know, some time traveling and now they showed up for, you know, this one o'clock meeting, but the meeting doesn't start till two o'clock. So they continue to, you know, just sit there and wait for that one hour. Right. So the question is that time compensable and it most likely would be. And this is a situation I seek from time to time that it's the wait time after traveling to a location, you know, that can be a compensable element, right? It's separate from the travel, right? You've traveled, you were required to be at location, you know, B, but now, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the work is delayed in getting to you. The client's not there, you know, you have to wait for something, but that then your travel time has ended. You know, you're back in your work day at that point. So that that's another issue I see from time to time. Uh, you know, another one being, uh, employers who, you know, for whatever reason, maybe a misunderstanding of the law, uh, but they only can compensate employees for travel time if it exceeds a certain amount of time, right? So, uh, you know, and I've seen policies where something along the lines of, you know, if there's travel during the workday, right, in between sites, but it's 30 minutes or less, we're not compensating you for that. Uh, but if your travel time is more than 30 minutes between uh, clients, you know, we'll compensate you for those situations. That would so seem again, a really dangerous one because uh, your policy, you can't, and this is, I learned this from you, you can't create a policy that circumvents the law. So if you're the one as the employer requiring them to travel, how could you create a policy that isn't required to pay them? Right. No, exactly. And that's why those are wrong. And yep, those often, you know, look, you know, the danger in these is you have employees, especially in that one, you have some getting reimbursed, you know, getting paid for travel time, some not. It depends on the amount. So that's when you almost have more red flags being raised employees because yeah. they realize, oh, some people are getting paid for travel. Some aren't. Right. It's almost a worse situation than than getting it all wrong. But, you know. So the lesson here is, you know, we, we pound the drum every day about the need for policy, written policies and in, in handbooks. But by God, you better make sure what you're writing down is legal, right? Uh, that might seem to you a reasonable thing to put on paper. You might actually be just handing the evidence to the judge uh, <laughs> that that you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and then, look, I, I think kind of putting it into a separate category of things. But, you know, when we talk about, you know, travel during the workday, you know, uh, we also get into travel reimbursement issues, which I know is a different issue necessarily than, you know, payment for uh, uh, compensable travel time. Uh, but we also get into, you know, travel reimbursement when, uh, in, you know, individuals, you know, our hourly rate employees are performing, you know, uh, you know, uh, compensable travel, right? With they're using their vehicle. Then, I, I don't know that we're ever going to do a daily show on that topic. Can you spend maybe five minutes unpack 
what what is required for for you know is is it just the IRS uh, deduction amount for the mileage? What about meals um, if they're on the road? Just just try to recap that real tight for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go through this uh, pretty quickly, and I, I think it's fairly uh, straightforward. So, under the federal law, right under the FLSA, an employee needs to get their you know their minimum wage, their overtime, free and clear, right? Meaning that we can't have cost or you know deductions eating into their minimum wage, right? So that's that's the issue we have here, uh, where you know an employer will violate the FLSA if the tools of the trade. In this case, you know, a car or some, you know, travel uh, means of travel, you know, cuts into their minimum wage or overtime wages. Um, so, you know, you brought up, right, the IRS mileage, the standard mileage, right? So that is, I think, what we all think about when, you know, we hear we have an employee, you know, traveling for work purposes and we need to, you know, reimburse them. We all think about, right. Send us you know, how many miles you drove. We'll reimburse you at I think it's now sixty five and a half cents uh, per mile. Um, but you know the IRS mileage rate. That's certainly something that employers can use. Uh, but it's not the only option. What really what employers are tasked with doing is reimbursing the employee for a reasonable approximation of the expenses they incurred for the employer's benefit. <clears throat> so the company doesn't need to reimburse the actual travel costs, right? So you don't need to figure out the depreciation of the vehicle, the cost of fuel. We, we have a, you know, um, you know, an approximation, the IRS mileage rate. Um, now the employer should keep records, right? Of the dates, the amounts and the nature of the items deducted, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. We still need to make sure we have data from the employees as you know where they traveled, how many miles, the date. That way, you have those records uh, to establish the methodology for the reimbursement. All right. So, Brian, to recap, uh, we talked about the uh, do you have to pay to and from work. Now we're talking about do you have to pay while at work traveling from place to place, and it sounds like the. Well, there's lots of edge cases. It really comes down to you. Are you as the employer requiring that travel versus are they choosing it? So if they're choosing to say, hey, I want I want to work from home this afternoon. Is that OK? And you say yes. You don't own for that travel time. But if you require them, hey, I need you to go here. I need you to go there. Then it's an employment requirement and therefore it's compensable. Is that fair? Yep. That is a yeah, general prospect. Yep. That's I have one. I want to come back. I have one more question on the to and from work. And I'm wondering if regularity matters because so I, I, I think about my my neighbor, right? He works for a, a, a company that uh, uh, installs and maintains big overhead doors for shops, right? So think about the big garage doors. He never knows until night before morning of where he's going to go work. Now, he might go to a job site that's five minutes away. It might be an hour, hour and a half drive on the you know, other side of the city in the other side of the metro area or middle of the state. It could be two hour drive to go to a job site. In a case like that, it would seem reasonable that you're not paying for the five minute drive 
but it would also seem unreasonable if you're to not get paid for the two hour drive. I would imagine you got to pick one or the other. How would you how would you devise a policy in that in that situation? Right. So, no, great question. And when, when you have employees uh, that don't you know, report to a specific work site, um, you know, what we do is we look at you know, the general facility. So, you know, look, if we're uh, in a metro area and, you know, someone is generally called to work in that metro area, then, yeah, wh- wherever they drive for that first you know, work site each morning, uh, you know, that's that's not compensable. Right. You know, some days it might be 15 minutes, another it might be 45, another it might be 30. Now we get into a slightly different situation where, you know, you have a normal commute of, let's say, you know, average of 30 minutes. And then we have a you know job one week where it's, you know, a two hour drive right each way. Um, you know, in that scenario, what you what would typically be done is you'd compensate that employee for the amount of the commute that's beyond what their normal commute is. So, right, if their normal commute is, you know, 30 minute commute and you're sending them, you know, out of town to a, uh, at a job that's, you know, taking two or three hours, then, you know, you're going to pay them the difference between this, you know, uh, you know, the two or three hours. So that shift first, the, you know, 30 minutes they normally would have. Uh, those are kind of for one-off uh, situations for, you know, working out of town. Okay. So I got a couple more examples I want to explore along those lines. So let's say I'm a construction worker, but let's say I'm doing road construction and very common there that, that these guys might be on a project that's two hours away this direction for a week. They're staying in a hotel. Maybe they got to leave on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening to get there. So they're on the job site, 6am Monday morning. Um, is any of that to and from compensable? Yes. Yeah, so when there's going to be like, you know, I guess we could call it overnight or, you know, other travel that's, you know, outside the normal workday, right? An employee, you know, who travels away for, you know, a, a project like this that's you know, overnight or out of their area, right? They should be paid their, you know, regular work hours on, you know, the regular days. Um, you know, excluding the meal periods. So, right, that that's how you're, you're really going to compensate them, right? If it falls during the, you know, normal, normal hours, um, then then it's being, you know, compensated. Um, so, you know, that, that's really how that, that would be handled. Um, you know, many employers in these situations just, you know, compensate them for, you know, the entire travel time, especially in the situation where, you know, they're going to travel, you know, two hours on, let's say, Sunday, and then, you know, another two hours or three hours back, you know, on Friday, you know, it's often just, uh, you know, paid by the employer. And, uh, you know, I want to know something, uh, a, a separate issue, but something that I think is important to mention to employers, you know, because some companies, you know, and I've dealt with this many times, right, they have, once they start realizing the compensable nature of, say, you know, during the day travel time, you know, they realize that they have a, a, a labor issue and a, a big economic cost. Uh, and so, you know, I just want to make sure that employers out there should understand that travel time can be compensated at a different rate than the rest of their you know, work time. Right. So you might have, you know, uh, employees earning, you know, 20 or 30 dollars an hour for, you know, their regular work. Right. It doesn't mean you have to pay them that rate for the travel. Right. 
Uh, That's interesting. I never thought about that. So I could have a highly skilled technician trained on a certain piece of equipment. I got to put them on an airplane and fly across the country uh, as, as kind of a one-off. It's not part of their daily job. And maybe they're $50 an hour, uh, 40, 50 bucks an hour. It could be an, still, uh, it could be an, a non-exempt employee and still be paid hourly. But maybe it's, maybe I only pay theoretically minimum wage. Maybe I could pay 10 or 15, $20 an hour, something different for that travel time. That, that, that you're, yeah. that's, what I'm, that's what I'm understanding. Yeah, definitely. I, I often I, I really uh, recommend you know a lower hourly rate for the travel time and you know best practice even if your jurisdiction doesn't require it you know put that in writing you know we probably have an offer letter or something in writing with their regular hourly rate if you have a separate you know uh, uh, hourly rate for travel it might go in the handbook but it might also go directly to the employees who travel so they're aware in advance of you know this different hourly rate. And, and I'm I'm getting a little nitpicky here, but I, I I live on airplanes and I see I see guys who are clearly technicians. They got their their whether it's the the, the outfit or the toolbox or whatever they're wearing. These guys are clearly traveling to job sites. Whether I, I don't know if they're hourly or not, but what about the that? There's different types of travel, right? I could be sitting on a train or an airplane. I could be sleeping. Or maybe I'm driving, so I'm obviously engaged. Uh, where where do the lines start and stop for paying for travel? Like if I'm asleep on an airplane. Yeah. So I, I think you. I almost want to go to the opposite of that because I think you bring up two points in this scenario that we haven't touched on, which are very interesting, right? So we've been talking about you know the compensability of travel time and some might not be compensable, but let's remember that no matter what travel someone's doing, if they are performing any work during that travel time, then it becomes compensable, right? So I could be, you know, I I think of that because it's the opposite of your, your character who's sleeping right on that flight. It's, you know, we're, you know, if anyone's doing work, then, then they will be, you know, they should be compensated for the work, right? So, you know, you take, the morning commute, right? You know, I mean, look, I do this all the time, though, you know, I'm exempt, but, you know, look, a non-exempt employee gets on a call with their manager, you know, on their way to work, you know, talking about the day or, you know, any other issue, right? Now, all of a sudden, they are performing work on their drive-in. So, again, you know, what we're really looking out for are other things that might happen on a day-to-day basis, right? You know, something that the company requires the employee, you know, do, does, and it just happens to be done during this commute. Um, so I, I think another thing that's important, you know, when we're putting these policies together is, you know, making sure that there's a procedure for employees to report if they're, you know, performing work, you know, compensable work uh, during travel time, right? That should be, uh, there should be a me- mechanism for them to report that type of thing. Um, another, another thing that, uh, your, your scenario, uh, uh, made me think about was, you know, exempt employees. And I know we said, we're not really talking about exempt employees today, right? We're talking about your hourly employees because, right, your exempt employees get a salary, right? You, you're, you're not compensating them, uh, for their, their travel time. Uh, but what does that tell us, right? That if you have a lot of, uh, 
you know, non-exempt employees performing travel and which could potentially be uh, compensable, you might consider if there are ways that you can set up your business where you have more exempt salaried employees doing the traveling, right? Because you don't hit these issues. You might have some, you know, reimbursement type issues, but certainly the the compensable nature of the travel, that question goes out the window when you restrict travel uh, to exempt employees. So again, that's one way you could avoid a lot of these issues if you know the you know, if most of your uh, travel can be done by you know exempt workers, Brian. Maybe the last thing I'll ask, um, and it is for the, for the exempt. I'm thinking like trade shows, conferences. If you're a salaried employee, you got your normal Monday through Friday nine to five kind of a situation, and you got to go to this conference. But it, it's this conference happens to be over a weekend, so you're gonna be working Saturday and or Sunday. Is there anything the employer should be aware about? Are, are they do they have to offset that with PTO days because hey, uh, you know th- this person had to work a seven day week because they were in the office Monday through Friday. They f- they flew out Friday afternoon to go to this conference. They had to work Saturday Sunday. They're expected to be back in the office on Monday. Um, is there is there any consideration employers need to be thinking about from a compliance perspective? So for, for exempt uh, employees, I think is what you were asking about, Mike, right? Yeah. For exempt yeah. employees, correct. Right. So, right. The, the great thing about exempt employees is you get them for as many or as few hours as you need, right? You're paying them a salary, you know, not for, you know, the, the amount of time, but for the quality of the work, let's say, right? So, yeah, that's, there's no need to. I mean, look, those are always employee relations type issues, right? You know, giving someone some PTO or a day off after they've, you know, worked a, you know, a long week. No legal requirement. You could do that. Um, you know, there certainly could be, you know, state requirements for, you know, working seven consecutive days if that were the issue. But absent any of those, uh, just because you've had an exempt employee, you know, travel and work extra days, uh, other than dealing with possibly, you know, reimbursements for travel costs, in terms of compensability, you, you really don't have much to be concerned with there. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I'd like it if you could maybe just kind of one minute or less recap this thing. We talked about all kinds of use cases, things you should do and shouldn't do. If you just had to, had to t- put a bow on this thing, how should employers think about travel pay? for driving to and from work and within the workday. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that acknowledging that travel pay is a complicated issue is number one. And I think, look, as employers, we all have employees traveling to and from work, if nothing else. Right. And so it's, you know, you should understand that's typically not compensable, but now you understand that if you are requiring employees to do things right before they come to work or go, or right when they get home, that could change it. So understanding that, but look, in general, I think what employers should understand is that you could be missing out on compensable work time through travel time, which can be problematic, right? Can lead to lawsuits or DOL audits. And that, you know, as an employer, your first response should be identifying any travel time that your your employees are doing. 
from there, you know, you need to figure out if it is compensable, which as you've heard us talk through this today, it's not always clear cut. There are a lot of gray areas. And so it's probably advisable that if you have workers uh, traveling, you're not quite sure how it should be treated, especially if you have more than one person in those classifications. You know, we're talking multiple people, potential classes. You know, you want to make sure, talk to an HR consultant, talk to an attorney, make sure you understand, you know, what is compensable and make sure that you don't have an off the clock issue that can lead to, you know, uh, unpaid wages, liquidated damages um, when, you know, uh, spending time on some prevention right now would be, you know, uh, great help. Maybe I, I lied. I do have one more question. When do when do you usually see these things raise their ugly head? Is it this isn't the kind of thing that would be the result of some random audit? I'm assuming this is disgruntled employee either reports you or goes and talks to an attorney and then you end up getting sued. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's usually how it is, because I, I think what you see with travel time is that if employees think they're you know not being paid for this travel time it's usually something that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis right it's not a one-off situation so that's why we often see them coming forward filing a lawsuit going to the dol because it's a it's an issue that's hitting them over and over again and if they think they should be compensated for it they're they're coming forward and so yeah, I, I usually don't necessarily see it with employers coming with questions because like you started out today, I think it's a commonly overlooked, uh, you know, part of the FLSA uh, that, you know, employers just say, oh, travel time, we don't pay for it. Right. It's a very simple thought, uh, but it's you know a lot, a lot more nuance to it as we and, saw. Today. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, we just can't emphasize enough the importance of handbooks and policies uh, in, in putting your policies in, in handbooks. So if you're an employer, you think this is not a big issue, it's not an issue until it is. And so even if this is not a common thing that you face every single day, get the policy written down so it's thoughtful and compliant with the law. It's got to comply with FLSA. You can't create a policy that circumvents the law. Get it in the handbook. Communicate that at the uh, time of, of hiring and once a year review of the handbook. That just covers you in the case that something does creep up because all of a sudden that one time you ask an employee to go do something you think it's no big deal they might not think it's a big deal their spouse might have a very different opinion that all of a sudden one trigger event like that that's outside the normal and somebody has a conversation with an attorney and all of a sudden you're facing even if you've done nothing wrong you you could be facing the the very expensive cost to defend defend yourself and unless you have it written down as a policy, that cost of defense goes way up compared to, hey, no, here's the policy. Here's your signature, the date that we reviewed this together. This is kind of a dead issue and it goes nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Brian, anything else you want to say in closing? No, I think that wrapped it up real well, Mike. Okay. Everyone else, thanks for uh, joining us today. Until next week, we'll talk to you. Brian, until next time, thanks. Thank you. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth 
not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws, visit AssureSoftware.com.